thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. The Apostle Paul is talking to his friends in a city called Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. And he said, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon titled, Trouble is a Setup. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a setup. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for Uncle Ken and Sister Diane. God, I pray you give them 50 more years together of marriage. God, bless their union. God, I pray today as we look to your word that you would speak to us, God. Teach us what you'd have us to know. Father, we've come in this room today, some people excited, some people struggling, some people happy, some people sad, some people on the up, some people on the down, God. But you know every heart and you know every need. So, Father, I pray now in Jesus' name that you'd anoint me to speak on your behalf. Tell us what you want us to hear. Give us ears to hear what you say to us today, God. Father, I pray that you would infuse us and fill us with your spirit, God. Strengthen our faith. Let faith rise up in us to know that you're always good and you're always right. In Jesus' name, amen. Trouble is a setup. As I was doing what I do every week, praying about what God would have me to say, and that's really one of the toughest parts of being the teaching pastor here at Abundant Life, to have something to say every time because I don't get my messages out of books. I don't get my messages offline. I pray and I ask God what he wants me to say. And as I was doing that this week, uh, God clearly spoke to me and told me to revisit this age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you realize they've been asking that question forever? They're gonna ask, somebody's going to ask that question today in this community. Somebody's going to ask that question tomorrow. And if the world lasts 100 years from now, somebody's going to be asking that question 100 years from now. Why do bad things happen to good people? We're looking at the Apostle Paul, what he just said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 about his own life. Now, this dude was the dude. He was the guy. He was the anointed man of God on the planet. God used him to write about half of the New Testament. He did miracles. Everybody knew this guy was the powerful man of God, but he had trouble. Say trouble. He had issues. His life would not play out like Christian televangelists talk about today. He, he didn't come to Jesus and everything be a bed of roses. Listen, I want you to know, God never promised it'd be easy. He just said it'd be worth it. I'd rather serve God with trouble than die and go to hell with ease. Y'all not hearing me, but I'm going to keep preaching anyway. Paul, his own testimony, uh, we just read it. But I want you to know you need to get perspective right in your mind. You need to get your perspective right about your life because I could tell you the story of my life and you would think, oh my gosh, he's just so blessed. He's just been so fortunate. God just, the favor of God has just been on. Or I could tell you the story of my life and you could be like, I don't know how he's still clothing in his right mind half the time, how he puts one foot in front of the other. And it'd be true the whole way. It's just about perspective. Because if we look at verse 8 again, let's listen to what he said. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Now, that looks like he's talking about how hard life is. But if you just do a little bit of perspective seeking, look what he said after the comma in both sentences. He said, listen, y'all, we are not crushed. See, that's not negative. That, that's not belly aching. That's not whining. This is the point he's trying to make. Oh, well, we are pressed, but the point is this. We're not crushed. And you need to tell yourself, I'm not crushed. See, the devil wants you to think every time you're having a bad day that it's all that bad, that everything is horrible. But you need to start reminding yourself it's not always all that bad, and there is hope, and I am not. Listen, if you're still breathing, there's still time for a turnaround. If you're still breathing, there's still time for things to get better. He's telling people, listen, we're not crushed, and we are not driven 
to despair. Listen to what he said in verse 9. And he's, he's encouraging himself because even though he was being hunted down to be killed, this is real. This is not just fiction. This is the life he lived. He'd been hunted down. The apostles were being hunted down and killed for their faith. He said, even though that's going on, we're never abandoned by God. You got to start rehearsing good news in your head. You might not see, I don't believe in lying to yourself. I told y'all about the preacher friend I had, got in my navigator, snotting and sneezing, and I'm like, what, you got allergies? What, you got a cold? Loose here, devil. I'm, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I rebuke that. I cast that down. I take authority over that. I said, well, take authority over all that snot you just blew on my dash. I'm not sick. These lying symptoms. I'm, I'm a head and not the tail always above. I, I don't have sick. And I'm like, listen, it's okay to admit your nose is running when I see it coming down both barrels. Okay? Some people want to act like there's never a problem in life. That's not biblical. That's not Christianity. That's not, listen, this fake it till you make it, confess it till it happens. That, that, that's voodoo. That's not Christianity. If your nose is running, your nose is running. If I'm healed in Jesus. Yeah, you're healed in Jesus' name, but quit sneezing on my dash. You know? Cover up. Do something right. Sneeze into you. That was funny. Y'all missed that altogether. I'm not going to do it again. The perspective that he said, we're not abandoned by God. Why would he have to tell his friends that he's not abandoned by God? Because he knows that the devil wants him to feel abandoned by God. He knows that other people are looking at him thinking, look at you, man. You're supposed to be saved. You're supposed to be sanctified, fire baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost. You're supposed to be the anointed man of God. You got more trouble than Carter got liver pills. And he might say, all that's true, but I'm not abandoned. And you need to start telling yourself that. He said, we get knocked down. He didn't cry that I'm always on top speech. He had good days, bad days, happy days, and sad days. But he knew this. He wasn't destroyed. And you need to start telling yourself positive things. You need to start telling yourself that God is on your side. Because this is what the Bible teaches. Well, the flip side of that is where the enemy wants you to live. He wants you to live in a, it's never going to get better. Woe is me. Life's always going to be horrible. That's just my lot in life. And then he wants to push past that. And he wants you to start seeing all the good people you know. Because you know people that are better than you, right? You know you do. You know people that love God more than you. And you, you see them, and the devil wants you to concentrate on that and think, well, why them? Why does that happen to them? I have an unsaved friend who just could not and still has not let it go. Why didn't Gail get better? How, as good as she was, why, why would something bad happen to somebody as good as her? And I told him, all of us have sinned. And it's not about good people, no trouble, and bad people don't, or bad people, no trouble, and good people don't. The Bible says in this life, you'll always have tribulation. There's always going to be adversity. But we need to get a I'm not abandoned mindset. We need to get a I'm not destroyed mindset. I, God is not done with me yet. I love that song that the kids used to sing. Listen, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You need to know if God's not finished with you, there's still hope. Okay, you can't rejoice in that? Let me say this. God ain't finished with the crazy people living in your house yet. Oh, that's better for you? God's not finished with your children yet, okay? You need to get a not yet mentality or an even yet mentality to know that God is good. We have got to get this in our mind. See, the Hebrew people understood because they rehearsed it over and over and over in their mind. They would sing songs, and it would be like a back-and-forth chant where the worship team would sing something, and there would be a response. We used to do those in the old Baptist church. We call them responsive readings. We used to do that in the Catholic church. I was born into the Catholic church, and, and the priest would say, you know, something, and everybody would say, and the Lord be with you too. I mean, people would be back and forth on each other. But, you know, in non-denominational spirit-filled churches, they, they got popular. All types of churches were saying in the 80s, God is good, what? And all the time, what? And that just became a cliche, and it got wore out, so people stopped saying it. But we need to say that. Why? Because we need to get our mind wrapped around the thought that God is good. Now, if 
that is what the people cried out because if you read the Psalms, the, which was basically the hymn book of the Hebrew people, you would hear them chanting back. The psalmist would say something and all the people would respond and his mercy endures forever. And the psalmist would say something else, and they were saying, God's mercy endures. They were reminding themselves of how good and how gracious and how loving and how kind God was all the time. Why? Because the devil wants you to see him different. The devil wants you to see God different. If you're here and you're unsaved, the devil wants you to see God as a killjoy who wants to take your fun away. He wants you to see God as someone to be feared and someone to be uh, stayed away from. If you're here and you're saved, the devil wants you to wonder, well, why am I serving God if all these bad things are happening to me? I can remember when Gail was dying in the hospital. We had people come to us, nurses, and say, doesn't this, I know you're ministers, but doesn't this shake your faith? Doesn't this make you wonder why God would let this happen to uh, your family uh, in, in, in a time like this? And our confession was then, and it's still my confession now, God has been better to me than I deserve. If God never does another thing for me, he did enough for me at Calvary. If my back never gets better, if some of y'all never get off my nerves, God's already done enough for me, I'm going to serve him to the end. We might have to edit that off tape. Some of y'all are sensitive. But I want to talk to you. I want to get you to understand this word I've shared with you in the past. It's a theological word called theodicy. And it comes from two Greek words, one theos meaning God, and the other DK meaning right or just. Listen, what it's saying is, God's right even when junk's happening. God's right even when bad's... Well, if there's a God, why are there starving children in third world countries? Well, it, it, well, if God's so loving, why are people dying from diseases all around the world? Listen, you focus on the wrong stuff. I, I love a preacher. Uh, his, his name, if you ever really want to hear some great preaching, look up a dude named E.V. Hill. Don't text me about his doctrine. I'm just talking about his oratory ability. He preached a message one time about perspective, and they just had an earthquake in L.A. They, or somewhere, wherever in California, what World Series? Some of y'all baseball, Jimmy. World Series, what World Series was it the earthquake disrupted? It was either in San Francisco, in Oakland. Earthquake disrupted the, the World Series, shook violently, messed up a bunch of stuff, and people... Just coming off that, and he stood up that Sunday morning. He said, people want to know if there's a loving God, why did Oakland, California shake for 11 seconds and, and so much stuff get tore up? And, and Pastor Hill said, if it wasn't for God's love and goodness, Oakland could have shook loose all night long and fell off into the ocean. If it wasn't for the love of God, your life could be so much worse. If it was, And he went on, and you need to get in your mind that God is good no matter how puny your day is it's bigger than us life's bigger than us and you need to know about theodicy you don't need to be one of these people scratching your head wondering well if God is so loving why is there trouble in the there's trouble in the earth because people are evil there's trouble in the earth because there's real devil there's trouble in the earth because people don't love God and serve God there's trouble in the earth because people make bad decisions and reap consequences on themselves there's trouble in the earth because people won't follow this book there's trouble in the earth because people won't recognize how great God is and give him some glory so he just steps back and lets them handle their stuff on their own and then it rains down on them and then oh God don't blame God for your foolishness well if God's a loving God why is America going down America's going down morally because people don't love the Lord in this country like they're supposed to don't blame God on foolishness theodicy says that God is just no matter how much chaos evil or difficulty is reigning in the earth. It means God's ways are right. All God's ways are right. And God's ways are right always. Every one of his ways are right. And they're right all the time. All his ways are right. And God is right always. If you can get that in your mind, you can save yourself a lot of sleepless nights. If you could get that in your mind, you wouldn't have to stay up wondering, but why? But why? But why? Why not? But why me? Why not? God want to do something. Why, why am I going through this test? God wants to build a testimony in you. God wants to take you and put his glory in you. God wants to comfort you so you can turn around and comfort other people with the same comfort he gave you. Listen, get this if you don't get nothing else. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. 
Nothing takes him by surprise. And we don't need to be the type of people that allow adversity to shake our faith. This dude, this Archbishop of Canterbury, this famous Anglican dude, he is constantly coming out on, on the news and saying, and he, and he said this so many times over the last decade, these type of issues cause even me to doubt my faith. Even you, who is even you? You're not God, but he's like, these things cause even me to doubt my faith. If, I was, if he was my pastor, I'd be like, I'm getting me a new preacher. I'm getting me a preacher that believes in the goodness of God when everybody around him is dying. I'm getting me a preacher that believes in the goodness of God when everything is hell about an acre and upside down. This dude talking about, uh, I wonder how there can be a God at times based on the adversity I see in the earth. If you let the adversity you see in the earth cause you to question your faith in God, I wonder how you call yourself saved. God, God's goodness is not determined on whether or not your sister's auntie's nephew, niece, or your brother's third cousin twice removed side can pay her bills this month. You know, the, the fact she lost all her money at the dog rack, don't blame that on God. That was her decision. But we got people wondering how can there be a good God with so much evil in the world. Listen, I, I don't understand everything. I've never pretended to be. That's one of the things we started with as a church 14 years ago. If you're going to come to Abundant Life, if you're going, if you're going to sit in here and listen to, to what I have to say about the Word of God as God leads me to teach this church, you're going to have to love me in spite of me. I'm a human being. I, I've, I've been a person longer than I've been a preacher. I, I, I've, I've been a human being longer than I've been a Christian. I, I got my issues just like you've got your issues. I don't understand it all. And all these preachers wearing good suits and acting like they know everything and trying to talk over everybody's head, they don't understand it all either. But I love what Charles Spurgeon said, and you need to get this down. He said, when we can't trace God's hand, we must trust his heart. You live long enough, you're going to come into some situations where you're going to be like, I don't see how God can be working in that at all. I don't see God's hand in that at all. I don't see how that can be good for me or anybody around me. Listen, you ain't always going to be able to trace his hand, but you can trust his heart. You're not always going to be able to figure out why, but if you love him enough, you can say, you know what? I don't have to know why because I know my daddy knows what he's doing. See, kids have a trust that we lose as adults. That's why Jesus said if you really want to be close to him, if you really want to come to him, you have to come with childlike faith. I'll tell you a quick story, and I'm going to let y'all out of here early. When we were building out the building on Blanding, 40,000 square feet, we gutted it, had a big old scissor lift in there, thing was rickety, went up 26, 30 feet in the air, and Seth got on that thing. Well, this was like six years ago, so he was five, um, six years old. He's about to be six next month. And he is up 25 feet in the air with a teenager in the church. I walk out there, and I'm like, boy, you better get down from up there before you fall. He said, I'm not scared. That building didn't have a stretch of carpet on it. Concrete floors, 26 feet up. You know what that means if it's 26 feet up? 26 feet down. People are like, Pastor, what's wrong? You scared of heights? I'm not scared of heights. I ain't even scared of falling. I'm not happy about that sudden impact at the bottom on concrete. That's the part I don't like. But I told, I, he said, I'm not scared. I said, really? If you ain't scared, jump. This kid launched himself off a scissor lift 26 feet in the air. Whoa! <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, I ain't never been 6'2", 220 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. The Army said I was 5'10". By the time I got out, I was 5'9 and a half. They chopping on my back. They're wearing me down. But this was before my back injury. But I still knew this little kid is falling. So I tried to catch him as high as I could. And by the time I caught him, I ended up with him down here with his feet on the ground and barely saved him. Why? Listen. Let me pick somebody who, 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 who can answer honest. All right. Athletic young man right here. If you're 26 feet up in the air, and I'm old, and I'm like, yo, dog, just jump. I'll catch you. And there's concrete under there. You're going to jump or you're just going to climb down carefully? You're going to climb down carefully. Why? Because he's a thinking man. Because he's got a brain in his head. Because mom and daddy taught him good sense. 
with my six-year-old. Whoa! Dove right off. Why? Because he had childlike faith. He believed my daddy would catch me. My daddy will catch me. What happens when we get older? Why can't we believe that? Somehow, see, Marcus used to think that Cedric was the baddest man on two feet. He used to think, my daddy beat up everybody's daddy. My daddy's sergeant major. My daddy's been all around the world. My daddy fought 500 wars, killed all the bad guys, and he's the boss over everybody. Now he's wrestled a little bit, been a little athletic. He's like, look at this, dude. I, I might take him on a good day. He's like, don't get me in trouble, Pastor. You don't know. My daddy get itchy on me. Listen. We start losing that, my dad can beat your dad up. My dad's better than your dad. We lose that in the natural as we get older. Why do we have to lose it in the spiritual? See, we see our dads get older. We see ourselves get younger. We start feeling ourselves and start thinking, you know, we're bigger than him now. You know, but listen, you're never going to be bigger than your heavenly father. God's not getting older. He's not even getting better. Because he's already the best that ever was and the best that ever could be. And your father will not let you down. Childlike faith says, I trust God no matter what. Childlike faith make you leap off 26 feet in the air and, and just hope somebody, believe somebody will catch you on the way down. I want you to believe that God can catch you. See, when we stop believing that, we start trying to take control of our own life. When we stop having childlike faith that says, my dad's going to work everything out. Listen, I tell my kids all the time, if my kids wake up and, and they had a bad dream or they're scared or something, and I just let them know, why would you be scared when you know I'm in the house? I'm a 200-pound grown man. I got weapons all over this place. I'm highly trained, U.S. Army strong. Anybody comes in this house while I'm in this house, you're not the one in trouble. You better pray for these other people. You don't have to worry about nothing if I'm home. Why are Christians worried about stuff if they believe their Heavenly Father is home? We got to begin to trust in God's goodness. We got to begin to believe that God has got everything covered because there are different ways that people respond to adversity. And everybody wants to have their own twist on it, everybody wants to have their own theory on it. And I want us to look this morning quickly in the Bible how other people looked at Christian suffering. Because I don't care how much Christian TV you watch and listen to these guys talk about how if you just send them $32 today, you're never going to have trouble again in life. That's a lie. Keep your money. Go buy some chicken. It'll go down better. <laughs> then that's lies they're telling you. Listen, I don't care how many times they tell you if you send them $79 right now, God's going to give you a $79 blessing. Listen, there is going to be difficulty in life. And when difficulty comes... Sometimes it's going to come when you're doing your very best. And that's why they write books like Three Steps Forward and Two Steps Back. Every time I start doing good for the Lord, Pastor, I get knocked back. My answer to that is always the same. Duh. What did you expect? There's a real battle. It's a real enemy out there. You don't just expect to go out there on offense and, and, and just run right up the middle, 99-yard touchdown every time you touch the ball. There's, there's a real opponent on the field. And we got to understand how the Bible sees suffering of people who are living right. Because the enemy wants you to think if you're living right and you're still suffering, well, I just may as well give up because even when I try to serve God, things don't get better. Listen, when you serve God, things do get better. You might not always see it right away, but God sees things from the top down. We see things from the bottom up, and we need to try to get God's perspective on this thing. Listen, people have different ideas why bad things happen. To begin with, when bad things happen to good people, uh, the, the people inside the church have a theory. I want to talk to you about people inside the church. Say inside. You got to watch people inside the church because a lot of times they, they look for a reason why God allowed this suffering to happen. And they come to a conclusion that the, the bad stuff that happened must happen because the person that happened to deserved it. And that's not always right. That's... I. I just, want, I just want to just make people tell the truth sometimes and just, just sit on them and say, tell the truth. You know, like Will Smith, tell the truth. And, and y'all didn't see that movie? Nobody else did either. Don't worry about it. it just, I love Will Smith. It wasn't his best movie. But people watch church folk inside the church. Something bad happens to them. The devil's trying to attack me because I'm so awesome. Something bad happens to somebody in the church they don't like. See, they're getting what they deserve because they ain't no real Christian to begin with. Exact same stuff can happen. They're getting their car repossessed. 
and the, you know, the repo man's looking for their car, and they're like, the devil's trying to destroy my finances because I love the Lord, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm so awesome in Christ. Their neighbor's car getting looked for, for repossession, they're like, see there, they don't pay their bills on time, they don't pay their tithe, and that's why, that's why God is chastising them. Listen, it's not always that simple, but people inside the church are like Job's friends. I don't have time to preach it up to you. I don't even have time to set a lot of background for you. But Job had a lot of bad stuff happen to him. Job was a man in the Old Testament who loved God more than anybody in his generation, but he suffered more loss than anybody in his generation. I don't know how these people preaching on TV read their Bible. Job was the most Christian man, the most godly man on the planet, but he suffered. He had, all his children were killed in one day. Well, if God loves you, how can somebody you care about be taken out so young? Every, all of his children were killed in one day. All of his material possessions stolen in one day. Everything he had ripped out from under him in one day. And here come his friends. Here come his church buddies. Here comes Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Don't hang around people with weird names, okay? That's just my rule. Don't, or, or make a nickname up for him. Call him something else. Call him Ray Ray. Don't, don't, don't call him Ray Shaquanda Bista Peter. I mean, that's just something evil about they, their mama did them wrong. But these three dudes with weird names come around, and they tell him, well, you must have done something to deserve it. Do you realize that's what people inside the church are typically going to say? When somebody else inside the church is suffering, they probably deserved it. I have seen that happen so many times, and it makes me want to rush to the aid of the person who's struggling even if they did deserve it. Why? Because everybody deserves something. They want to say, well, Job, you're probably getting all this on you because you did something to deserve it. But God clearly says that wasn't the case in Job. Job had not done anything wrong. God had his own purpose, so people inside the church had it wrong. But people inside the church weren't the only ones that had it wrong. Let's look at people outside the church because people outside the church get it wrong too. Say outside. Paul, this dude went through a life, man. In Acts 28, he goes through this big shipwreck. And, you know, they thought everybody on the boat was going to die, and they get washed up on an island. Listen to a brief background, Acts 28.1. It says, and when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Paul and all these people get shipwrecked. They, they think they're all going to drown out in this horrible storm, and they wash up on this little tiny island called Melita, and they realized we're on dry land now. Verse 2 said, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. I love that wording because you got to think about it to make sense out of it. Showed us no little kindness. Does that mean they were good to them or bad to them? No little. Their kindness was not little, so their kindness was what? Big. Okay, so these barbarians, these unsaved people, these people outside the church. Listen, y'all know sometimes dope dealers will treat you better than people sitting next to you in church? Sometimes they won't. It's a debate. But these barbarians showed them no little kindness. What did they do? They made a fire for them. They received every one of us. It was raining outside. It was cold outside. They were being nice to us. Verse 3 said, and when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks, that's a good message right there. Even when other people are doing stuff for you, you still got to go get a bundle of sticks. And laid them on the fire. There came out a viper out of the heat, a snake out of the heat and fastened on Paul's hand. So Paul just, I mean, the man just almost died in the shipwreck. He's out a day and a half in the ocean, you know, with whales and sharks and, you know, Loch Ness monsters and all that, and he washes up on this little tiny island full of people, um, what do they call them, that eat, eat human beings, cannibals, wash up on the cannibal island and with these barbarians, and they're like playing nice with him, and he. You know, they ain't church folk, but they build me a fire, and he gets his snake locked on his hand. Now, these are people outside the church that were being nice to him, but they're about to turn on him. Say, turn. Verse 4 said, and when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said this among themselves. No doubt this man's a murderer. How you going to go to that? Snake bit his hand. Got to be a murderer. Snake, murder. This made sense to them. No doubt this man is a murderer. Whom though he escaped the sea, vengeance suffered him not to live. They said, he snuck by one tragedy, but, but karma ain't going to let him get by this. Karma turned around and bit him on the hand. And his See, lost people want to talk to you about karma when the Bible talks to you about sowing and reaping. Different message for a different time. But the outsiders said, something bad happened to you? You must be a murderer. Something bad happened to you? 
you must deserve it. It's the same thing that the people inside the church said. It's the same thing Job's friends told him. Bet something bad happened to you, you must deserve it. They were wrong. Paul shook that thing off and didn't die, and then they had to change their whole theory again. Read Acts 28. You can get it. But listen, just because something bad's happening to somebody doesn't mean that they've done something, listen, more than what you've done. You can do the exact same thing somebody else did. They get caught, get penalized for it. You don't get caught, get penalized for it. And you look down your nose at them. How does that make sense? You did the same thing just because they got caught and you didn't. Let, let's keep moving. They thought the same thing that Job's miserable friends thought. Listen, so we looked at inside the church. We looked at outside the church. Listen, everybody inside the church not a real Christian, but let's look at how real Christians can even look at this. In John chapter 9. Jesus' disciples, they're going out, they're doing miracles. They've seen Jesus do miracles. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, brother John, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, Judas, Bartholomew. These guys are running with Jesus. They're doing cool stuff with him. These 12 men have seen awesome things happen, and they come up on this dude that's blind. And, and these are the Lord's disciples, the people that are closest to him on the planet, real Christians. And the Bible says, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, his true Christian disciples asked him, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Exact same conclusion. Job's friends, you must have done something wrong to deserve it. The cannibal barbarians on the island of Melita, you must have done something wrong because a snake bit you on your hand. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ see a blind man. Whose fault is it? People are always looking to assign fault, but God is up to something bigger. Say bigger. Verse 3, Jesus said, Neither have this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. God has his own plan. God has his own reason for tragedy. God has his own reason for devastation. God has his own reason for difficulty. God has his own reason for destruction. These were true Christians that thought something bad happened to this man because he must be a bad person or his parents were a bad person or somebody sinned. If you don't hear anything, I want you to get this. Bad things happening to people are not always dependent on the person doing something wrong. Because if God wanted to wipe out all sinful people, nobody would be left. This is where the church missed it with, with the AIDS crisis. And, and listen, I don't know. Uh, and, and, and don't email me. Just call God and thank him for it. If, if you're still living with HIV, if your if auntie's still living with HIV, praise the Lord. Magic got me convinced people are going to live with HIV forever. He looks better than he's ever looked in life. And this dude has been having AIDS since, the, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And, and still doing good. But the church so mishandled HIV in the AIDS crisis in the 80s because here's what the church, in their raw stupidity, they learned nothing from Job's bad friends. They learned nothing from the barbarians of Melita. They learned nothing from the Lord's foolish disciples. The church said, well, God's just trying to wipe out homosexuals. That's what they said was the response to AIDS. was God's judgment on homosexuals. It's God. Listen, if God wanted to wipe out anything, there wouldn't be anything left. God don't have no struggle of wiping people out. Stop thinking that because something bad has happened, it's God's judgment on somebody. Start looking with a different perspective. But the church is still saying all that. The church is still saying when, when something bad happens, well, God must be judging them. Really? Well, what about Columbine? Well, who was God judging there? What about 9-11? Who was God judging there? What, 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 about, what about tornadoes and tsunamis? Well, well, God, I've heard people say a big earthquake, a tsunami hit a, a, a village full of people who don't worship our God, and, and ignorant church folk will be like, well, God just wiping out the infidel. Listen, God loves everybody. That's the message of the Bible, that God is love. Don't buy into this, God is against somebody. You need to understand that God is for you, and you get your mind right about some of this stuff. But we shouldn't be making the same mistakes that Job's friends, the barbarians, the Lord's disciples made. What was the mistake? To look for a simple answer to a complex question. People want a simple answer. Well, if God is so loving, then why this? Well, if God is so gracious, then why that? Well, if there's really a God, then why does this happen? Well, if there, listen, 
that's just a distraction. That's just the enemy trying to get you to focus on the wrong thing. You need to be focusing on if, if God is really holy, it's a miracle. He still lets me draw air. If God is really who he says he is in this book, it's a miracle he even talks to me. If God is who he says he is, it's a miracle that he's going to let me into his heaven. We, we need to quit letting the devil distract us with this why do bad things happen to good people question. If you need that answer, let me tell you a little something about the Christian life. Number one, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. If you have to figure everything out, you're not a faith person. I've been telling you for years, if you can't figure it out, you've got to faith it out. That's where faith comes in. Well, I just don't understand it. No, God didn't say you had to understand it. You just have to believe it. What did the great poets say? Ours is not to question why ours is but to do or die. This is an obedience thing when you understand it and an obedience thing when you don't understand it. Isaiah 55 and 9 said, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, God's got his own mind on stuff. And you can't figure God out. If you would give God the same amount of respect that you want from your kids, listen, I hope you want respect from your kids. Stop negotiating with these kids. Stop answering why, but why, but why? Why can't I cross the street? Why can't I pick up every soup can in the grocery store? But why can't I throw a fit in the middle of the Walmart? But why? Listen, tell them, because I said so. And I know what I'm talking about, and you do what I say. See, that's good parenting right there. And we need to accept that from God. Because God knows why he says what he says. He knows why he's doing what he's doing. God does not have to give us an explanation. God, I don't owe my children an explanation why 830 is their bedtime. And I don't offer them any. And if they question me about it more than once, it's trouble in Eagle Landing. Now I'm going to keep moving. My thoughts are higher than my children's thoughts. I have a plan that they don't have to understand. If we can understand that from parent to child, how much more should we be able to understand it from God to human? His ways are higher than our ways. He knows what he's doing. Well, but why am I in this? But why do I still have that? But why this? Why that? Why this? Why that? God knows what he's doing. Trust that. Start living your life with the understanding God knows what he's doing. Romans eleven thirty three 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Listen to what he went on to say. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, I thank God that he's revealed a lot of himself to us. I thank God that he has allowed us to see a lot about him. But listen, there's some stuff in this Christian life you're not going to figure out. There's some stuff in this Christian life you're not supposed to figure out. There's some things you want God to show you what's up and around the corner. He's not going to do it. He's got his own plan and he's working his own deal. There's things in life we're just not going to understand. If you can't accept that, Christianity is not the right religion for you. If you need to logically rationalize everything, if you need to be able to figure everything out with your human brain, then you need to embrace Scientology and not Christianity. You need to go embrace some religion that thinks that they know all the answers because Christian people don't propose to have all the answers. We just believe that we have a God who has all the answers, and we trust that he knows what he's doing. So what do we do? We believe God is just. We believe God's right. We believe in theodicy. We believe even when there's trouble going on that God is still a good, loving God. So what do we do when bad stuff happens? What do we do when a 36-year-old wife dies, leaves a preacher with two small children to raise that he ain't equipped to raise? What do we do when, when, when people that we love come down with cancer and the doctor says there's no hope? What do we do when somebody gets in a car wreck and loses a limb? What do we do when these bad things with no explanation happen? I'm going to give you a couple things. Number one, lean on God. For stability. You're trying to get stable on your own terms. You need to lean on God for stability. First verse I ever memorized, Proverbs 3, 5. says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And what? Lean not, say not. Lean not to thine own understanding. You got to lean on the Lord. We used to sing a song in, 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 at Hillcrest Baptist Church when we were off Cassett Avenue called Leaning on Jesus. Leaning on the everlasting arms. And we were just saying, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Why? Because we were leaning on Jesus. We weren't trusting our own stability. We weren't trusting our ability to figure it out. When bad things happen to us, we were just going to lean on God. Why? Because that's the only one you can lean on. I don't know how y'all, if you're here and you're not saved and you don't believe what I'm saying, uh, I, I at least give you this amount of props. You're stronger than me. You get through day to day with no God. 
You get through day to day trying to figure out all life by yourself. You're just wrestling all life's problems by yourself. You're a tough dude. Not very smart, but you're tough. But old man told me one time, if if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Listen, if you want to get past this why do bad things happen, why, 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 you got to learn how to stop trying to trust your own mind. Stop trying to figure everything out. Learn how to lean on God. Second thing, you got to listen to God for direction. Say, listen. The very next verse in Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Acknowledge God. Acknowledge that he's real. Acknowledge that he's right. When you don't understand it, tell him that. Say, God, I don't understand why they're treating me this way. God, I don't understand why I'm going through this. God, I don't understand why this happened to me. God, I'm really mad about it. Listen, if you're mad at God, you're not hiding that. God knows. People are like, Pastor, I couldn't believe it, but I told God I was mad at him. You didn't shock him. He already knew. What do we need to do? We need to say, God, I don't get it, but I trust in you and let him guide you through it. How am I going to make it now that grandmama's gone? Acknowledge God and let him direct you through it. Listen to God for direction. Jeremiah 29, 11. I had to work this in for Ken. This is Ken's favorite verse. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You want a verse? You want a life verse? You want to know something about God? You want to hang your hat on a verse? You want to write something down on a three-by-five card, put it on the visor of your car? Listen, God says, I know the plan I have for you. I don't know what God's plan. I don't know all of it. I know some things I'm believing God for. But God knows exactly the plan that he has for you. And listen what the plan is. He's not going to tell you every detail, but he will tell you this much. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. It is not a disastrous plan, and it's a plan that gives you hope for your future. So when you can't see your way past today, you just need to believe what God said in Jeremiah 29, 11. God's got a plan. That needs to be your confession moving forward. God has a plan. Then why am I going through this? I'm not going to get hung up on that. I'm just going to believe that God has a plan. But how do you explain this? I'm not trying to explain anything. I'm just here to say I know God has a plan because that's what the Bible tells us. Third thing we can do, look to God for deliverance. Say, look. You got to lean on God. You got to listen to God. And you got to look to God for deliverance. Psalm 46, first three verses says that God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear even if earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble. As the water surge, I ain't going to take time to preach this to you, but I'm going to tell you this. In those days, thousands of years ago, in King David's time, they believed that the God of the mountains and that the God of the ocean were the two most powerful gods in the world. You know, people still believe that today. People are like, I just go sit by a mountain and I just feel the awesomeness. I mean, powerful, nothing, powerful ocean, powerful mountains. And they believed that back then. The psalmist said, mountains, sea, whatever, God everything. You need to put God above your everything. But what about my job? What about my boss? What about my money? What about my health? What about my family? What about my future? Listen, if all that goes to hell in a handbasket, God is still our refuge and God is still our strength and God still has a good plan. We just got to keep looking to him. When, When crisis creates a moment in your life that you can't handle, God wants you to shift your dependence from trusting yourself to trusting him. What does God think? What, what, what is in God's mind when destruction comes, when devastation happens? What, what, is, what is God up to when, when all this stuff's going? Listen, when destruction comes, here's what I know about God. God is a deliverer. When devastation comes, here's what I know about God. God is a deliverer. When disaster comes, here's what I know about God. God is a deliverer. He might not deliver you how you want to be delivered. He might not deliver you when you want to be delivered, but he is a deliverer. That's who he is, and he can't change who he is, and he's always going to get it done. Just start trusting that. The psalmist said in Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. (laughs) Man, you want a verse to write down on a three-by-five card attached to your mirror in your bathroom? Put that. Just start telling people. People sweat you. Roll down your window and holler at them. The Lord's on my side. 
they better back up then. Y'all know this Burger King up the street is a little little sketchy, hard to get your food order right. They would they were work they they were putting me through extra this morning. I go through there this morning. I sat still for eleven minutes. I didn't move. I'm like, okay, this is bringing a whole new meaning to fast food right now. I got to go pray with the deacons. I got to get to church. Come on. And so I could see the dude behind me, older dude than me. He's banging his steering wheel. He's mad as a, I mean, he's just mad in the car all by himself. And I'm like, I wonder if that's what the dude in front of me just saw. So I'm, I'm paying for this dude's meal because I'm going to try to brighten up his day. Listen, when your day is falling apart, when nothing right is happening for you, you need to step back and breathe and say, you know what? The Lord is on my side. When the world is raging against you, when your spouse, when your family, when your parents, when your children, when your job, when your best friends, when the people you count on are all acting crazy, you need to understand the Lord is on my side. You need to just get that in your confession. Blah, 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 blah. Lord's on my side. Blah, 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 blah. Lord's on my side. But what about blah, 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 the Lord is on my side. See, people who have watched the end of a football game, if you DVR a football game and I tell you the results, you don't have to sit on edge through the end. You already know how it's going to turn out. If you're saved, you should already know how it's going to turn out. The Lord's on your side. We're on the winning team. We win in the end. It don't matter what happens in the middle. This is what the psalmist knew. That's why he said, I'm not going to fear what man can do to me. So you cut off both my legs. I'm still going to heaven. You, you, you ruined my reputation. You hurt my feelings. I'm still going to heaven. You take away my job and my house. I'm going to heaven. If you realize that God is on your side and that there really is a heaven at the end of this whole deal, you're going to get to where the psalmist is and be like, God's on my side. I ain't worried about y'all. In the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm trying to give y'all some bulletin board material right now. I'm trying to give y'all some locker room material. I'm trying to give you some war room material. You need to put this down somewhere. You need to highlight this in your Bible. You need to know where Hebrews 13.5 is. That's the part of the Bible where them pages are stuck together. Listen, Hebrews 13.5, God said, I'm never going to leave you. and I'm never going to forsake you. But what if you do wrong? What if you go out and get drunk and blow it? What if, what if, what if you, you know, just quit your job and, and you know, just ha- just lose it for a minute God said never say never you can't chase God off you if you love God God knows it and God is down with those that are down with him he said I love those that love me and I will never leave them and I will never forsake them if you know on the inside of you I ain't all that but I know I love God for real in my heart God said I ain't leaving you and you need to find comfort in that the next verse Hebrews 13 6 The writer said, so we may boldly say the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do to me. See, real Christians have that mindset. care what happens today. I don't care what happens tomorrow. God is on my side. So we go back to Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 to get done with, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1 to get done with this. In in, in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he said, we were really crushed and overwhelmed. He was talking about another disaster he was in. Paul lived it, man. You got, you got to read his story. Read his story in the book of Acts. Read his story in the book of First and Second Corinthians. He said, we were really crushed and overwhelmed. We feared we would never live through it. There went a giant storm. He said, we feared we would never live through it. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. Semicolon. Pause on the punctuation. Learn something when you read the Bible. He said, look, this thing looked bad. We thought we were all going to die. We're out in the middle of an ocean, and this thing is throwing us around, and we saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. That's the spot God wants everybody to get. I can't help me no more. I can't handle me no more. I can't do this for me no more. I tried to fix it, but I can't fix it. I'm powerless to help me. And because right after that, he says, but that was good. You're still in a storm. You're still facing death. Your ship's still breaking up. You still got no help anybody can see. But he said, when I realized I was powerless, when we realized we were powerless to help ourselves, that was good. Why? Because it was then that we put everything into the hands of God. That phrase between that comma after good and that comma after God is where real Christians need to live. Whatever storm has to get you there. 
Whatever problem has to get you there, you need to get to the place where you put everything into the hands of God. Why? Because he's the only one that can save us. Listen to what he says. And he did help us and save us. And he did. See, this is why God wants to let things get a little rattly in your life. This is why God wants to let things get a little sketchy in your life. This is why God wants to let you go through some hard times so one day you can stand up and tell somebody, and God did help me. And God did come through for me. And God did help us. And God did save us. And listen to the faith that swole up. He said, and we expect him to do it again and again. You need to get an again and again mindset. I remember when God bailed me out in the 80s, and I believe he's going to do it again. I remember when God bailed me out in the 90s, and I believe he's going to. I remember when God bailed me out last month, and I expect him to do it again and again and again and again and again and again. And he's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again, and he's going to do it again because he never changes. And we can trust him when we put everything into his hands. He's a delivering God. He's done it in the past, and he'll do it again. Listen, hard times don't change the goodness of God. Hard times don't change who God is. God's going to do good things in the middle of your hard times. You just watch him. Bad report from a doctor for you or somebody you love? Listen, don't fall apart. God's going to do good things in the middle of your hardship. Why? Because he did it before, and he'll do it again because he never changes. you got to get an again and again mindset on God you got to know he's going to do good stuff. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I just want you to think in your mind, what's your current hardship? What's on your nerves right now? What's, what's, what's costing you sleep right now? What's been devastated in your life? What's been harmed in your life? What type of deliverance do you need from God? We're talking about the year of freedom. What is it that you need God to do? I don't know what you need God to do, but I tell you, I know what you need to do. You need to call on him. The psalmist said, I called on the Lord, and he heard my cry. You need to call on God. Last verse I'm going to give you on this screen, Psalm 50, 15. God said, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. And now shall glorify me. Why do you go through these tests? So you can have a testimony that glorifies God. Yeah, I was down there. Yeah, I did it. Yeah, it was that bad. But God. Yeah, I went through this, and yeah, I went through that, and it was hard, and I thought I was going to lose my mind, and I didn't know how I was going to make it. But God. But God what? But God came through for me. I called on him on the day of trouble, and he came through for me. Why? So I could tell his story, so I could sing his praise, so I could let the whole world know that when I can't fix it, I know somebody who can. Trouble is nothing more than a setup. Trouble is nothing more than a setup because God said, call on me in the day of trouble. People don't like going through trouble. And and I'm not twisted enough to try to tell you to enjoy going through trouble. But it's nothing more than a setup. When you feel trouble in your life, you need to realize, oh, it's a setup. I'm supposed to call on God. Why? Because God said, call on me when? In the day of trouble. Why? Because he'll deliver you. Pastor, why hasn't this? Why hasn't that? call on God. Well, I already did. Call on him again. I called on him twice. Call on him three times. Well, I keep calling on him. They keep calling on him. Why? Because he's good. Why? Because he has a plan. But people do this. People do that. Listen, God said, I will deliver you. Not your spouse. Not pastor ain't going to deliver you. The church not going to deliver you. Your friends are not going to deliver you. You're going to get to a place in life with real hardship. You're going to need the one who is truly able above all else to heal, save, and deliver. And that is Jehovah God. He said, and I will deliver you if you will call on me in the day of trouble. I'm telling you, bad times are a setup. Trouble is a setup. A setup for what? A setup for a comeback. God wants some of y'all to come back. God wants some of y'all to call on him in your day of trouble. And say, God, rescue me. I don't know what your greatest need is right now. I don't know what type of storm you're in. But I know if you call on the Lord, he will deliver you. That's the promise from the word of God. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It also says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take just a moment and honor God. I want us to take just a moment and flesh out some stuff. 
Because everybody in this room needs to do what Romans 10, 13 says. We need to call on the name of the Lord. If you're here and you're saved, you need to call on the name of the Lord to deliver you from your current situation. You say, well, I'm perfect. You call on him to deliver somebody who is hurting, one of your family members. If you're here and you're not saved, you need to call on the Lord and ask him to save you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to come stand down front. We're going to take a moment. We're going to have a moment of dedication, invitation right now. And if you're here and you're not saved, here's what I want you to know. You're only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. God said if if you call on his name, he would save you. And I would love to see you call on God's name today. You say, well, I want to be a Christian. Well, let today be your day to be a Christian. Here's what God said. If you'll confess him in front of people, he'll confess you in front of God on judgment day. That's why we have public altar call. That's why we have public invitation to give you an opportunity to confess your love for God. If you're here and you're not sure about your salvation, I want to pray with you before you leave this place today. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to receive real salvation. If you're here and you are truly saved, I don't want you to worry about the clock right now. I want you to think about people who need God's help. I want you to think about somebody who's in trouble. And I want you to find a place to pray inside this church. You can pray where you are. You can come to this altar and pray. But the promise of God is call on him in the day of trouble. And he will heal. He will save. He will deliver. Listen, we got trouble all around us, y'all. And the people who claim the name of Jesus need to call on him. If you're physically able, stand on your feet with me as we move into this time. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that you do your work now your way. God, I pray, Lord, for every person in this room that's not truly born again, God, that you let today be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray, Father, for everybody who is truly saved, God, that you would let people be humble enough today to call on you and to take this time and to ask you for your help. Thank you for being a deliverer. Thank you for being an all-sufficient Savior. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. The invitation is twofold. If you're here and you're not saved, I want you to come. I want to pray with you right here. If you are saved, I want you to pray on this altar at your chair. I want you to take the next few moments, and I want you to ask God to help you with whatever situation you're in. While Christians all around the room are praying, you do whatever God lays on your heart. But let's honor God right now in this time. If you're here and you need to be saved, I want you to come right now. If you're ready to get saved, I want you to let today be your day of salvation. I want to pray with you. Some of you know you need to come and be born again today. Today can be your day. invitation time is for you. If you're here and you say, I need to get saved, then I know it. Don't worry about what anybody's going to think. Don't worry about how many times you've walked an aisle before. If you need salvation, I want you to stand up. I want you to come down this aisle right now. We're not going to drag this on, and I'm not going to just keep begging you to come. But if you really want to be saved today, I believe that if you call on the Lord right now, God will save you. 
This is your time. Would you come? This is your time. Would you come? Is there anybody else who would say, I need salvation today and I'm coming? Let's pray. God, thank you for goodness. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for being available for us in our time of trouble. Thank you for loving us and sending your son to the cross for us. Help us, Lord, to realize that you have a plan and help us to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.